Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. My guest today on Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast is Tony Crabb, who is not a stranger to many of our listeners. But in these COVID times, a lot can happen in just a few weeks. So this podcast was recorded in early October before the lockdown restrictions were eased in New South Wales and Victoria and ACT and international travel resumed and vaccination rates topped 80 and now 90% and much, much more. So although we do talk about the lockdown, much of our conversation is focused on the future of retail and the recovery ahead. And also, Tony has since left Cushman and Wakefield after recently accepting a promotion to the chair of the investment committee at Black Oak Capital. So thanks very much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the uh, podcast. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor of APJ. My guest today is Tony Crabb. And really glad to be here again, Nelson. Thank you for having me. Today, about the retail property market and retail in general. Um, no doubt you've seen the ABS figures that came out this week. Yeah, it's, um, it's always a fascinating sector of retail. Uh, and and it, it polarizes people as well. But it's a, it's a nuanced sector. It's not just, uh, you know, like office or industrial where, uh, you, know, you know, one view covers all. Retail is very, very um, segmented. And you can see that. And whilst we talk about the, the, the retail turnover figures, and, and you can you look at the, the, the rolling annual 12 months and New South, Queen, New South Wales, Queensland, WA, you know, the rest of the country are all up between 10 and 16%. So the, the pandemic has, has been fantastic for retail turnover in, in every state except Victoria. Victoria is up about 4%, which is, it shows just how different Victoria's experience has been to the rest of the country. And it's very difficult, A, for people in Victoria to believe that things are going okay elsewhere, but it's also very difficult for people outside of Victoria to understand how bad things are in Victoria. But even then, those, those figures belie what's going on underneath the surface. So if you look at supermarkets and liquor, their turnover has been going through the roof. They're up some $15 billion in turnover. And that's been at the expense of cafes and restaurants, which are down $7 billion. Now, supermarkets and liquor are run by, you know, predominantly a bunch of listed companies. And cafes and restaurants are run by mum and dad. So there's been a shift in turnover, if you like. So retail turnover's up, but mum and dad have been slaughtered and the big companies have been making money hand over fist. And it kind of gets worse when you think of furniture's up $2 billion, electrical up $4 billion, hardware up $4 billion. So again, here we're talking about, you know, again, another $10 billion of expenditure. 
that is going to say, you know, again, listed companies, guys like Harvey Norman, um, JB Hi-Fi, Officeworks, Bunnings, and so on. So again, these sort of listed companies doing really, really well, uh, whilst mum and dad businesses, you know, really do it very, very tough. So if you ran, a, let's say you looked after a neighbourhood shopping centre and you had a, a big supermarket there and a bunch of specialties, well, the turnover increase in the supermarket and then the liquor would have offset the decrease in the specialties. And so the extra money you made as a landlord from the supermarket and liquor would offset the money you lost from your specialties who weren't able to open. And so you as a landlord may actually be no worse off. And so you're getting these sort of really strange impacts there where, you know, it's not just as easy to say, oh, retail's doing it tough. It, it, and in the suburbs, I think retail's been doing pretty well because people have been confined to their, to their local areas. And, and office workers are working at home, and so they're going out locally. The CBDs, on the other hand, uh, have been really slaughtered. And, you know, I, I use that word advisedly, really, because, you know, I go back to the, the 92 recession in Victoria and it wasn't this bad. So this is the worst I've ever seen it. There's one in four shops are vacant in the Melbourne CBD. And when I say vacant, I mean just back to concrete shell, completely vacant. Others, of course, are, are boarded up um, and, and yeah, they're, they're not opening. And there's a few who are opening, but, um, you know, the, the, the CBDs are very, very different to the suburbs in, in that regard. And again, when you look around the country, um, I was in Perth earlier this year and, you know, all the office workers are in and they've got after work drinks and people are going out for lunch and they've got peak out. It's like stepping back into a pre-COVID world. <laughs> and, and, and yet Melbourne, it looks like someone's filming a, a movie about the yeah. end of the world. Yeah, there's, there's nobody it's there. It's a great uh, realistic uh, movie set for post-apocalyptic <laughs> themes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So, yeah, it's um, and again, you know, when we think about uh, about tourism as well, and here we've got domestic tourism and international tourism, and and there really is a lack of both um, around the place. There's a bit. I suppose you know, Queensland WA, they've got tourism, but it, it's, it's within their own state. Um, but, but those places are missing the domestic tourists and the international tourists as well. So, you know, there are places where tourism is taking a hit, uh, you know, is, is having an impact on retail. And it's funny when you, you get down and have a look at the services sectors. So you know, airlines, obviously, uh, taxis, Airbnbs, um, those tourism businesses, accommodation, and of course, um, uh, you know, flight centre and, and the like, the people that organise holidays, um, yeah, their turnover would be down nearly 100%. So, yeah, there, um, there are places that are doing it very tough. And that's the, um, I suppose we look at the, uh, there was statistics, oh, sorry, there was research that showed that um, because Aussies have been home 
and not traveling for the past 18 months that that 60 billion dollars that they potentially spend overseas is now being spent at home but that's not and yes that's true um but that's they're not necessarily spending it in all the tourism places that um you know that rely on international uh retailed or international tourists to spend on retail because they're not going out to the scuba diving things i mean some because of border restrictions victorians can't go to queensland like the great barrier reef and then use the services of scuba divers resorts restaurants and all these things so it's missing that um so whilst you know you're spending money at home you're missing that uh key tourism spend uh for the retail sector as well that's right and in fact you you've hit on a point there about savings the uh the, the whole world has been saving money and uh you know, looking over it all and, and and what we do is is we count up what we call excess savings so this is money saved beyond what was you know traditionally in the bank you look back pre-pandemic uh, the five or six years prior to that yeah there's x amount of dollars that people have in the bank their rainy day money and their um yeah, their their um uh, you know their paychecks and so on so when we look through the pandemic and we look at these sort of last uh, 18 months two years and excess savings globally are about eight trillion aussie dollars eight thousand billion dollars it's a it's about six percent of global gdp sitting in people's bank accounts now in the US, the UK and Canada, they've got sort of 10 to 12% of their GDP sitting in the bank as excess savings. Now, here in Australia, we're sitting at about $200 billion of savings in our banks. And what people are waiting for is permission. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's beyond confidence because we, we're confident. We just don't have permission yet. And, and permission comes with the lockdowns ending. Uh, it comes with uh, 80% vaccination rates and people feeling safe. And it comes with the borders being reopened. So people have the permission to go to the places that they wanna go to. And that means catching up with relatives. It means catching up with friends. That means going back to familiar places and, um, and, and having a holiday. The pent up demand is extraordinary. Now, this is a number that, that, that I like because you know, I like numbers, but, um, but absolutely staggering. Australians have 175 million days of accrued annual that leave. That is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... You know, can go on a holiday for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so... Yeah, the lockdowns or this this lack of, um, if you like, permission to to go on holiday um, is has just been all right. Well, uh, it's just going to accrue. You know, we've been doing homeschooling and we've been having kids at home over the school holidays, and so we've been working at home, and so with that you don't take annual leave because you've got really nowhere to go. But yeah, that accrual, and so. This pent-up demand is what's coming next. So when you think of $200 billion of savings and 175 million days of annual leave accrued, then you think of all the things people need to spend money on or want to spend money on. And here we're talking about 
things like just simple things like going to get a haircut, for example. And uh, Lord knows everyone in My Victoria hair needs is, a haircut. It's wild man now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're not yeah, filming this. Thank God. It's a podcast and not a Zoom meeting. Yeah. But, but the other thing is weddings. If you just think of the weddings that were postponed or delayed in 2020 and 2021, and they're all piling into 22, 23, and 24, um, yeah, there's, there's birthdays and other significant events, wedding anniversaries and so on, things that just need to be caught up on um, yeah, that weren't done. Um, and so there's a lot of that pent up demand is going to be unleashed. And so I'm actually really optimistic about the prospects, but I think there's going to be some real problems in supply chains um, into next year. I think this has been on the, uh, on the topic uh, for everyone is the global supply chains. We've seen, shipping costs and uh, you talked about this before going up and potentially onshoring and all these but we're seeing already now in overseas markets that um, it's leading to delays in goods being delivered um, and also it's because of uh, a lot of people who work in ports are getting COVID so or, or the ships coming in the crew are getting uh, have got COVID so goods are being left at um, shipping ports for up to two weeks in America before they were able to be picked up. Um, but aside from that too, we've got uh, other disruptions which are leading to, um, you know, the production of, of, of raw materials not being delivered. So supply chains is going to be a huge issue, isn't it, for 2022, particularly Australia. We buy so many things overseas. Yeah, that's right. And you, you, you see it across a whole range of industries and you know, there isn't anybody who isn't affected by it. And it's uh, you know, there's the goods, which, you know, we've discussed and, and getting them in by boat or by plane um, or even the goods that are manufactured here in Australia, getting them across borders is, is difficult and there's delays everywhere. Um, and some of the delays are transport related, as you've discussed, and some of them are materials related. So there's a, a global shortage of computer chips, which is then having an impact on phones, uh, computers and cars, which have all got computer chips in them. So you're getting these sort of knock on effects and then you're getting shortages in materials, uh, timber, for example, and so on. But then the other thing I think that's probably going to be most problematic and particularly in retail is uh, is the lack of labor yes the, we don't have but well, we relied a lot on the um, global I suppose uh, around the world people were coming into Australia and we we're bringing in labor and that's just completely stopped and I see that restaurants can't get enough wait staff so they it's not that they don't want to open seven days a week or five days a week they're having to open only on uh you know mondays and wednesdays or only lunch times because they don't have the number of staff to um to service the industry also to keep it open yeah and look that would go through hotels as well the um you know the the, the lack of not just staff but even trained staff um as you say you can only work so many hours and if you're running the yeah, breakfast lunch and dinner shifts or you're running over two shifts it's it's extremely difficult and it's not just the the wait staff it's it's chefs and and 
and, and all of the rest of it. So you're right, we relied a lot on what we call seasonal workers. So they, they could be backpackers, for example, um, and students. Of, of which of which we have neither <laughs> and which are hurting the universities as well so that's another thing and 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 the students um and i guess thinking about this we've almost spent two years in a bubble array for, you know cut off from the rest of the world um are we going to see some sort of revenge you know type spending or, or revenge rebound i suppose is the uh, i'm looking at um where or will it take a while before sort of the rest of the world goes, oh, Australia's reopen again. We should um, have a look and go down there. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, look, it's funny. There's there's a couple of things about sort of international tourists, if you like. Um, yeah, Australia is uh, still regarded as a bit of an exotic destination. You uh, you, you do the reef, the rock, and uh, and, and the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and, and that's it. There's this sort of triangle. That, that, that says, right, I've done Australia. Um, so there's a little bit of that. There is the there's the, the backpacker uh, gap year, British holiday maker that really works the coast from, from the Daintree to Melbourne and just does a year of an, an itinerant work all the way up and down that coast. Um, work for a while, save some money, hit the road. Uh, yeah, that's you know, a rite of passage for kids. And those things will come back because the desire to do that is still there. Is that, that human nature uh, that, that drives that. Again, it's the permission. It's the, um, will I be safe? Yeah, safe from the virus. And so I think we'll only let people in if they're doubly vaccinated. That, and, and even then we might ask them to quarantine for a little while, but, but you know, again, that, that remains to be seen. The, the other tourism, and this, this is, believe it or not, the biggest part of global tourism is families, family reunions, is people visiting family. And you know, one of the ways you could do that, of course, is you're going to stay with them and that saves you money. So Australia as one of the, the world's greatest multicultural uh, places, there, there's a lot of people visiting relatives. So we've got the biggest Greek population outside of Greece and there's this huge flow. Uh, like, likewise with the Italians, the British, and then, and now more recently, students from India and, and, and from China and, and other places in Asia and of course, their relatives coming to visit them while they are here as students and having a bit of a holiday with them. And they spend a lot of money. And even, I mean, the students, for every dollar they spend on education, they spend a dollar fifteen on goods and services. So they can't do that if they're not here. So if they're learning online, we're missing out on all that additional expenditure. And, and, and their relatives coming to visit them as well to have a holiday and you know, do, do some tourism activities. And, you know, that's going down the Great Ocean Road to see the Twelve Apostles. It's going to see the penguins of Phillip Island, for example, in Victoria. Yeah, and, and in New South Wales, again, all the, you know, they want to see the Harbour Bridge. They want to go to the rocks. Um, yeah, in Queensland, it's the theme parks. You know, there's, there's a lot to do and a lot to welcome people here to Australia. And, yeah, so 
we we do look forward to that coming back and i think that it will the there's there's too much at stake if you like australia's the third biggest um education market in the world behind the uk and the us now france is running at fourth uh, Melbourne's the third biggest international student city in the world behind London and New York. These aren't things that we're just going to let go. Uh, we are going to bring them back. And so the question is, uh, it's still being worked out as to, to how we will do that. But I would have thought the students are, are the easy one as opposed to tourists because you, you, you've got dedicated accommodation that they stay in. Um, yeah, that can that can be used, and and I think generally they'll be vaccinated. And I think when you look at when you look at students, um, I, I've been reading a lot recently that the different uh, markets obviously are trying to pry away our <laughs> our lucrative international students' education um, market here that we've got the market share. I see, you know, um, in the Netherlands, they're welcome trying to lure more Asian. Um, students there and Canada's doing the same thing. So, you know, whilst we are, um, we continue this closing the international bubble and not letting it through, they'll just end up looking elsewhere, which is why I, I think it's with the PM due to announce that bubbles are reopening. And you're right, it's very easy to get the students back in because they do play a critical uh, role in the economy, not just for the universities, but they then rent housing, um, and if you look at the CBDs, they always—they're the ones who are always uh, there after hours to uh, at the rec cafes and restaurants. Yeah, that's right. They—that's exactly right. And they—they they provide you know an extraordinary amount of vibrancy to a city, which people kind of just take for granted, I think. But having lots of young people around and having them out and in the evening, you know, dining and going out to, to clubs and so on is, uh, you know, really, it, it puts more eyes on the street. It makes the place safer. It, it provides businesses with ample opportunities to um, uh, to make money and so on. And so it's it's a terrific thing. The other thing I did that will come back too will be the the various events that, that the cities run. I mean, at the moment, sport is getting a pretty good run. I must say, you know, when we think about cricket, football, rugby, soccer, although we're all watching it from home, <laughs> yeah, but mm. but but there's so much more to events mm. than just sport, and you know, the arts have been sorely under under um, oh, they felt under done for sure. I think um, I saw the Australian Ballet did a um, an online uh, stream of Swan Lake, and I I thought that that's you know, kind of innovative, uh, innovative in a way. Um, but I thought it's kind of sad though, because the whole experience of going to the ballet is to be there, sit in there, be in the interval, watch the thing and be, you know, it's something that you need to be physically present to feel um, uh, something, I suppose. That's from my point of view. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's hmm. right. I mean, you think about a rock concert, it's, <laughs> you know, there's any number of videos of rock yeah, concerts, on YouTube. but they're, they're not even, not even close. Yeah to the same yeah, thing <laughs> absolutely and um i suppose yeah if you're looking at not just rock concerts but you're right about the theaters and it's different watching a play or a musical um in person than it is on uh, youtube otherwise it's just the movie really <laughs> 
Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and so you think of all of the, the the people that are involved in that, from costuming to lighting to staging to to the sets, the scenery, the ushers, and so on. There's just you know, and makeup and and so on. There's just so many people employed in that who haven't had a single thing, you know, not even a bone thrown their way. Yeah, they can't even put on an outdoor show, yet we can get 60,000 people to go and watch the footy. And, you know, there just seems to be, you know, an imbalance. And, and it's kind of like we owe it to them. So I think you're right when you say there's sort of revenge spending. It, it's not, it's just like there's a lot of people out there that, that want to do the right thing to support people who have been hit particularly hard. You know, and, I, you know, there's so many sectors there that are deserving of, you know, we want to keep these sectors going because they're, they're what we love. You know, we don't want them to die. We don't, you know, we want people to, to be able to continue to work in, in those industries to provide that entertainment for us all. And so, yeah, I think we're all going to be pretty keen to just, you know, share a bit of the love. And I suppose that now brings me to this. It, it's it sort of we're not going you know, into this uh, blinded. Um, we have, fortunately, uh, the UK had their Freedom Day. The US is reopening in some parts, although, you know, it's a bit funny there with their cases and the unvaccinated. Um, but closer to home, we've had Singapore that has reopened. So uh, are there any lessons there that um, we can sort of learn from uh, and how we go forward from, from their reopening? Yeah, look, I think it's interesting. What we've what we've seen is that there's been stops and starts and stops and starts everywhere around the world, um, and that's sort of dipping the toe in the water, and vaccinated versus unvaccinated, and that's uh, again, I don't think anyone in the world has you know see, appears to have got it right. If if there is such a thing as a right or a wrong, and I note with interest in Victoria, there's, I think, five LGAs where they're going to start experimenting with the the QR codes and the vaccinated versus unvaccinated and, and, and just kind of seeing how they all go and getting feedback from all of the businesses and seeing, you know, what happens with transmission rates. And we know, you know, currently, just based on what happened in the grand final, that if you let people out right now and let them go to each other's houses and go to restaurants and so on, there'll be tens of thousands of cases of the virus, you know, within a month. And that's, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. So we have to wait for a little bit more. But certainly what we seem to be hearing from the powers that be is that we will be learning to live with this virus and and certainly in in listening to the health professionals from around the world they are very much of the opinion that everybody is going to get this virus at some point in time and from their point of view you're better to get it if you're vaccinated than unvaccinated but there's but but in the end there's no avoiding it and that's in a sense how we get rid of it because it then has nobody else to infect and it can't mutate if it can't infect. And so therefore it kind of burns itself out. 
in a sense. And so, yeah, the long roadmap here is that this disappears and, you know, it'll sit in a pantheon of all the other coronaviruses there and we'll return to this sort of normal way of life. Um, but we'll still be scarred by it without a doubt. And so the recovery will, you know, will be long for some and short for others, uh, but, but recover we will. And so by the end of the decade, we'll, you know, be l largely forgotten and we'll all be back on again. Now, sitting here today, that's hard to accept. It is, you know, yeah. Because we're right in the middle of mm. this. But the optimistic view is this will be behind us. But the recovery, as I said earlier, there's so much pent-up demand and there's so much pent-up spending capacity that I think retail ought to be fairly optimistic. And I think the difficulties, I think, will be in the supply side of things, the staffing. And then, as you say, you know, if you're doing Christmas shopping, you should be doing it now. I, I think. think so. I, I ordered something. I have to tell you, I ordered something um, back in August. I only got it last week <laughs> because of the uh, the delays. I was told because I emailed the company and I said, what's going on? And they said, oh, it's stuck in customs right now. Um, it's still stuck in customs. So there's shortage at customs processing, obviously, because of everyone buying everything online. So if if people are look listening, you should be buying your Christmas presents now <laughs> in October. <laughs> That's right. Yes. That, that's good advice. The other, you know, I, I ordered something from New Zealand and, you know, I did had a tracking thing with it. So, you know, I, I watched it out of interest and it, it came from New Zealand to Melbourne and it was in, you know, a Somerton, you know, maybe 20 k's away. And, and it then went from Somerton to Perth. <laughs> and I, I, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> I could have picked it up <clears throat> then. Two weeks later, it came from Perth back to Melbourne and then got delivered. And it was because the warehouses here in, in Melbourne were so full that they just couldn't handle it. And so they had to move it to Perth whilst they cleared they, whilst they cleared the decks to get enough room to bring it back and then deliver it to me. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's all sorts of things going on <laughs> in the supply chains. It is, it is. And I suppose with all the pent-up demand and re revenge spending that we're expecting to come it's the retail sector hopefully I, I mean i think it will uh, from my point of view it will go off once everything reopens and you just have to look at the reopening of golf courses i can't get on a golf course for the next six weeks <laughs> <laughs> now, even though it's bucketing rain they're still out there <laughs> no I, I i tried everywhere i've called every golf course even the ones that are 60ks from my house well i can't travel that far oops i shouldn't say that um uh but yeah six weeks uh, i've been told you have you can come in in the next six weeks so I, I i think that's that gives us a sense of how people are feeling right now um so, uh, with, with retail and you said as you said with all the savings that we've got in the banks and all the annual leave um yeah it bodes well for retail sector for sure yeah i agree well with on that note thank you very much tony it's great chatting with you today about the uh, road to recovery for the retail sector it's a pleasure, Nelson. We're always good to talk. Thank you very you. much. And hopefully we'll have you back soon talking about a different property market.